Welcome to this Edge Church podcast. We are a people whose mission is to know Christ, be the church, and serve our community. We pray you are blessed and equipped by this message. James chapter 1 has been a chapter that I've shared here before that came to me during my cancer journey. And I'm just gonna read a couple of verses where it says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Now this may sound a little arrogant, I hope not, but I have come, maybe it's just age, but I've come to a place where I feel like I don't need anything. I don't need to preach. I don't need to be famous. Well done, good and famous servant is not my goal. I don't have to do anything. I just gotta love Jesus and walk with Jesus. Before I was ever a pastor, I was a Christian. I'd like to think I still am a Christian. And so I feel like during my cancer journey, God put a steel inside of me that walking with Jesus is all we need to take us through the journey. And I remember God saying, don't waste your pain. Bless with your pain. Help others with your pain. And so as I read that Scripture, I can honestly say my faith has been tested. My endurance has grown and I do feel content needing nothing. In Psalm 125 verse one, it says, those who trust in the Lord are as secure as Mount Zion. They will not be defeated, but will endure. And I believe that right now in the body of Christ all over the world, God is bringing us back to humility. God can't do anything without humility, but He's also bringing us to security, that our security is not in what we do but our security is in whose we are. And I'm really grateful for that today. I'm very, very grateful for that. And so if I was to give a title to this next bit I'm gonna share is I believe in the God of the hereafter. I believe in the God of the afterlife. And what I mean by that is that after all the challenges of life, God is still here. He's here after a cancer journey. Yes, I walk with a limp. Yes, my body's not like it used to be. But you know, when you come to a place and say, God, I'm ready to die now. I'm ready to go to heaven. I'm ready to be with you because I, I, I love you. And when you've lost a son, you think, well, you know, he's lived 39 years. I've lived so much longer. I nearly felt guilty that I got longer life than my own son. And, and I'm thinking, God, I'm okay, I'm ready to go. When the doctors come in and after 24 blood um, bags given to you because you were losing blood and they're talking about whether you're gonna make it or not make it. And I remember the tears flowing down my face and Sharon go, are you scared? I said, no, I just got this piece I can't describe. I feel God is present with me and I've shared this before, but I feel like His purpose is His purpose. So if His purpose is for me to go, I'll go. But if not, I'm gonna live as if I'm gonna be here forever, knowing I can go right now. And then said to the enemy, that's what you're gonna have to deal with because I ain't stopping. And while I have every breath, I'm just gonna keep representing the God that I love on the call on my life that He's given me. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10, 
In His kindness, God called you to share in His eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. So after you have suffered a little while, He will restore, support and strengthen you and He will place you on a firm foundation. Wow, we've got to believe that, eh? And so He is the God of the hereafter. After the suffering, after the pain, He's still here. Right now I'm getting to share with people in the whole cancer world. And I remember my oncologist saying to me, where do you get this hope from? He said, do you think you could come and speak to the Cancer Foundation? Because people don't have the hope you have. To have a surgeon come and sit next to me in the hospital and said, my mum's just passed away overseas. How do you get the energy to handle death? Can you help me on what I can say to her when I go overseas? Because I don't know how to help her. Did your God speak to you about your son's death? And starts asking me questions. And I am in hospital having treatment and yet your purpose doesn't leave your life. I remember God saying, you don't need a pulpit to have a purpose. You have a platform called life by which you can share my love. So after all that pain, he's still here. I lost half the sight in my right eye and started seeing different colours and, and uh, the doctor said, you've got a CMV virus and uh, that's affected your eyesight. And this week I went to see him. I think they just wanna see you so that you can go and pay all that money and they see you for two minutes. It takes me longer to pay the bill than to actually see the doctor. But he sits there this week and he goes, your eyesight's stabilised. Uh, it's all okay now. Uh, I can't believe he said you're doing this good. But I didn't know that was gonna be the case. So my decision to serve God wasn't, well, if you heal me or if this happens or if you give me more life. It's in the midst of the storm, in the midst of the trials, in the midst of what we're going through. We say, God, you're the God of the hereafter. After Joseph spends time in prison, he becomes a prime minister. How do you go from prison to prime minister? I was praying this morning and I felt the Lord wanted me to say to some of you, don't waste your disappointments. Don't waste your disappointments. I'm glad that when Joseph had no idea what God was going on in his life, he's interpreting other people's dreams when he couldn't interpret his own. That's faith. Telling people in a prison, tell me your dream because God interprets dreams. But his dream, he had no idea what was going on. Wow, to be able to interpret somebody else's dream. A few weeks ago when this journey began, I was so weak. And God asked me a question. He's asked me many times. Will you give me your empty? Will you give me your empty? Because if you're willing to give me your empty, I can take over and I can fill those places just out of your obedience. I live a life of obedience over outcomes because outcomes might not always end up the way we think, but our obedience, God will fill our empty. After Job experienced so much suffering and loss, God restores blessing and favour back to his life. He didn't get his first 10 kids back. Sometimes we think when God restores, we get everything back we lost. That only happens when you play country music backwards. That's the only time you get back everything you've lost. But Job never got everything he lost. He never got his first 10 kids back. He had to grieve over them. There's some things I'll never get back. 
fathering and pastoring other people's children is an amazing thing for me, but I'm not gonna get Chris back. And so you live with that incredible pain in the natural, but you don't waste your pain and there's still blessing in the pain. And I'm grateful for that today. After a woman is judged for her adultery, she is promised wholeness instead of brokenness. After Ezekiel is confronted with the valley of Denbrose, a great army stands up. What a contrast. Can I say from the bottom of my heart today, I've watched this church go through some amazing stuff, some challenges when our own family went through stuff and you had to support Sharon and I. And I remember the media outside and all sorts of stuff. And I'm thinking this will never survive. But here we are today. God is faithful and we survive. After Jesus cleanses the temple, children run in. Generations are blessed. That's what that means to me. And miracles break out. Some of you will remember that about 15 years ago, I made this statement from this platform that Jesus went into the temple with a whip and He cleaned it out. And I said to the Lord, Jesus, if you came today, what would you clean out? And in my head came these words, personal agendas, polluted motives and perverted mission. And I go, wow. I have been sharing that all over this country, sitting with pastors and leaders and they go, wow, so let's unpack that. Let's talk about the fact that Jesus is building His church, not ours. In prayer one day, I felt the Lord say, I'm building my church, that's never gonna stop. I might not build yours. Jesus is building His church, He's not just building ours. After Jesus was crucified, He rose from the dead. After this life, there is eternal life. We gotta have the accent of heaven. You know, you've heard me over the years talk about my dad, he's 87 now. Still talk like that, you know. How you going, Dad? Oh, that's a life, you know, thanks to God. Listening to sermons every day, that's all he does. But you're not gonna walk into my dad's house and think he was born in China because his accent gives him away. His accent shows us he's Italian, apart from all the veggies growing in the front garden, the fence with all the little white balls on the fence and he still makes his sauce and I can smell it from the driveway when I go and visit him. But he's got the accent of the country he came from. And we need the accent of heaven because we're not from here, we're from eternity. We live from eternity, not just for eternity. So after cancer, after loss, I found hope again. I found purpose again and I'm grateful. After COVID, God said He would covenantly bless His church. People prophesying the church is done, it's finished, it's this. No, Jesus said He would build it. And COVID wasn't gonna change that. COVID revealed a lot of stuff, but it was not gonna stop what Jesus is gonna do. So at the time that COVID was happening, I told people, don't waste your corona, just don't waste it. After we sin, there's a Saviour that forgives, heals and restores. So I go back over 20 years ago. I remember where I was. And I remember the Lord took me to Hebrews chapter 12 and He said, God is gonna shake all that can be shaken 
So all that is built, the kingdom He builds will remain. See, there's an afterlife. There's a hereafter, after the shaking, there's the making. The shaking's not for the hurting. The shaking's for the making. The shaking's for the healing. And I remember God taking me to Hebrews chapter 12, 28, since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable. God is only shaking so we can build the unshakable. And He's shaking so we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable. Let us be thankful and please God by worshipping Him with holy fear and awe. And some of you that were with me at that time in this church will remember, and this is a reminder, that God prophetically showed us seven shakings. I'm gonna go through them very quickly. But seven shakings that were coming to the planet. I remember speaking at a conference in Melbourne, a Pentecostal group of churches, and I shared these shakings and they looked like, do you really think so? They couldn't quite get it. And I think one of the things about when you have something prophetically, sometimes you share it too quickly and people are not ready to hear it or it's the wrong timing. And yet now I'm going back. I've got lots of new material for the future because God prepares you for what He calls you to. But there's also a looking back and going, did God say that? Did God say that? Was that really God? 1 Thessalonians 5.19, do not despise prophecy, but test every word. And the condition is to test whether it lines up with the Word of God. And so these seven shakings came to me in Hebrews chapter 13 because I read the verse in chapter 12 and I said, Lord, what are the shakings? And I just felt, keep reading. And so I kept reading and the first verse in chapter 13, keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters. Do you know Christians stop loving each other when they have a fallout? We don't keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters. We just love like the world does. If I agree with you, I love you. If I don't agree with you, I won't talk to you again. The church should be different than the world. It says keep on loving each other, one version, with, with strong Christian love. Christian love is different than secular love. It says keep on loving. And I remember writing in my Bible, I just copied this out of the margins, wide margin Bible, that friendships was the first thing that was gonna be shaken over the next 20 years at a very deep level. Friendships in Christianity need to connect, they need to comfort, they need to carry, but also able to confront and also able to correct and then continue. That's what the Bible talks about. The Bible speaks about love. Do you know in Ephesians chapter four, before we hear about apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, evangelist, it starts with a few verses before that. Really love each other. Handle each other's faults. It starts giving us a list of the behaviour before we do the stuff. Before we do our giftings, there is a foundation of love that has to be there. And the Lord said, I'm shaking Christian friendships, and I hope I don't say this as if I'm speaking into our situation with a ministry of hints, because I don't have the ministry of hints, right? But the fact of the matter is that I was at Paradise many years ago when a guy called Mark Rutland preached a message on witchcraft in the church. He said, there's witchcraft in the church because people get offended on their friend's behalf 
without knowing all their stories. And then what happens is people uh, get offended and make decisions that are not best for their family or their lives because they're not listening to what the Word is saying. They're listening to the situation. This was years ago. And then he went on to say something that I've remembered all my life. He says, witchcraft in the church is when there's manipulation, intimidation and domination. Wherever there's manipulation, intimidation and domination with anyone, we're controlling somebody else's life. And I remember taking that on board as a pastor because I've made huge mistakes as a pastor. And you know, you, you get taught how to lead. And I wanna say today, we cannot lead the same way we used to lead when God opens your eyes to see a better way to lead that represents Him. We have a responsibility to follow that. And the Lord said, friendships, will be shaken. Number two, the focus of the church will be shaken from inward to outward. Now this was 20 years ago. One of the reasons we started community projects in this church is because of these convictions that we didn't wanna just be a church that was within four walls. That's why we did hospitals. That's why we did the things we did. Why? Because we wanted to have an outward focus. And just recently, a couple of months ago, more than that, six months ago, God said the focus of the church should be the great commandment and the great commission. The great commandment is love the Lord thy God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. We have to help people not just have a mission journey, but have a connection journey with Jesus and teach people how to walk with Jesus how to hear His voice. And so that's the great commandment. Love the Lord with all your heart. Then love your neighbour as yourself. If as Christians we loved each other the biblical way, we wouldn't even need staff to follow people up. We wouldn't need to have professional people. We probably need people to oversight it. But the one anothering in the Bible happens when the church's focus changes on the great commandment to love God and love each other. And then the Great Commission is to make disciples of all nations. How do we do that? One person at a time, the church being in the community. That's why on a Wednesday, I work at a carpet company. I'm practising this in my own life. And one of the guys was rushed to hospital with a heart attack this week. Last night, I ring him in hospital. He's not a Christian. And he's going, why did you ring me? I said, I'm, I'm praying for you. We love you, mate. And he goes, wow, non-Christian. And so you think, wow, you know, um, we are making disciples of nations and then teaching them to observe all things, which is true discipleship, which is the proximity that we do through discipleship. So, so I'll move on from that. But, you know, God said friendships will be shaken. The focus of the church would be shaken. Number three, fidelity will be shaken. Give honour to marriage and remain faithful, verse four, to one another in marriage. God will surely judge people who are immoral and those who commit adultery. We have an infidelity problem today, but not just in life. What I felt when I read this, it was the principle behind it, is that even in Christianity, we can divorce each other. We can divorce relationships. We can cut ourselves off because we're offended. Oh, for Jesus, I'm offended. Anyway, had to break out in a bit of song there. And so God is bringing fidelity back into the church. That whole sense that we just don't get offended and part, but we stay together in faithfulness because we're the body of Christ. And guys, can I say, the more I haven't pastored just one church, the more the clarity that there is only one church. And that's God's church. 
And we all worship God in different places, in different ways. We all make mistakes. You're never gonna find the perfect church in Adelaide because they don't exist. And every church I've worked with, I've seen good and I've seen the flesh. I've seen revelation and I've seen reason. It's just life, that's what happens. But I thank God that Jesus ain't cancelling the building of His church. Then this next one is finances. It says, don't love money, be satisfied satisfied with what you have. For God has said, I will never fail you, I will never abandon you. So you can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. What can mere people do to me? And I can tell you, my friends, I remember when I left this house, And I remember after a period of time, I said to Pastor Jonathan, I don't want financial support. God is calling us to live by faith. He's calling us to live by faith. And Sharon said to me, "Uh, you know, um, are you sure you've heard from God? Uh, Yeah, 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 yeah. You sure you, the wife has to ask that question, you know. And um, I remember the first week we stepped out in faith and I thought, wow, uh, this is gonna be difficult. This is gonna be challenging. We're too old for this. And I was at a conference and three different people at that conference came up to me and said, oh, Pastor Danny, we didn't know you were gonna be here. Uh, you know, God's been talking to my wife and I, he's a businessman, and he said, we just feel that we need to support your ministry and we're gonna support your ministry $10,000 a year. Now, we just stepped out in faith and I go, freak me out. Next minute, somebody else came up and said, you know, Danny, we... We're glad you're here. My wife and I have been praying for you and we feel God wants to support you $10,000 a year. I go, wow, I'm in tears by now. And then the next person came up and did exactly the same. I thought to myself, maybe I should stay here all day. (laughs) Maybe I should stand here all day. Where's this gonna stop? It did stop, it did stop. And so between that and there was a level of support from this house and others at a, at a different level and, and we were able to eat and we were able to pay the bills. And you know, I'm saying that to say, I don't know why I'm saying it, oh, finances, that God looks after what He initiates. And so we've seen His provision. We don't need anything. And you know, when you lose a son, you go through cancer, you're getting rid of stuff. You're not trying to buy more stuff. I don't need more cars. I don't need a bigger house. You go the other way. And you think, hey, we start in life with nothing, you know, and then you end up in life with nothing, no hair, no teeth. I've got a comb in my pocket. I just, you know, I can't, you know, I've got it with me all the time. I just can't part with it. (laughs) Sorry. Sorry. Had to get a dad joke in there somewhere. And so God is shaking the way we trust Him with finances. And I was able to encourage other pastors starting out in faith. The number of pastors that I've encouraged to get a job and work in the community and find out what it's like working in the community so we're not just working within the four walls. And it's been amazing for them. One of them rang me last night. He said, you know, you told me to do this. He's now got a round. He goes around, I think, Jim's lawns or something. He's making more money he'll ever make in a church. So now he's checking his motives like, I think I'll stay here. I said, well, you might have to, I don't know. But then we go to number five shaking. Remember your leaders who taught you the Word of God. Think of all the good that's come from their lives and follow and follow the example of their faith. Now, I wanna say something as a dad here, I really do. And that is one of the things we've all made mistakes in 
as pastors and leaders, and I've made this mistake over the years, is we create a vision and then we ask people to get on board with it. That's not what following leadership is about biblically. What it means to follow leadership biblically is that we are called as pastors to preach the Word, not vision, the Word. And we preach the Word in season and out of season with good sound teaching. So when people submit to biblical teaching through biblical leaders, they're gonna grow and everybody's gonna grow. And in Hebrews 13, it mentions that twice, even in verse 17, it says, because leaders must give an account for your soul, not for a vision. A vision is a purpose. I've told pastors all over Australia, and I'm not preaching at edge this morning, I'm telling you all over Australia, I'm saying people are, are, are confused about that word vision, a covering. If I've got rain outside my house and a guy's got an umbrella two streets away, it's not gonna protect me from the rain. So covering has to have proximity. It can't be not in proximity. So as pastors around this country, we can't stand in a pulpit and tell people to get on board with the vision when people are sitting 20 rows back and they've never spoken to you in their life. They've got no idea what this all means. And so this is happening all over Australia. I'm saying to pastors, just preach Jesus and the purpose that for your house is there will come. God will give vision, He will give purpose. And the thing that I don't like about, this is just me, okay? The thing I don't like about the word vision is it's always something that's gonna happen. It's gonna happen next year. It's gonna happen the year after. It's gonna happen in 10 years. But when I say, what is our purpose? It starts now. Purpose starts right now. And so I believe with all my heart that God is shifting the language in His church so that we end up with a biblical model of covering people biblically, not getting people, because we've seen in the news, we've seen stuff that goes on where you know people feel they're forced to do this or they're forced to do that. No, nobody should be forced to do anything. In view of what Christ has done for us, we present our bodies to Him as a living sacrifice because we've had the right view of who He is, not the clarity of a vision because men can come up with all kinds of stuff and I have. So I put myself in those shoes. God's been showing me this. I go, wow. We read Scripture through the lens of our understanding, not the contextual speak from that passage. And I wanna say this because of this, there has to come a return to proper biblical interpretation of the Bible because the Bible's been missing out of many churches. I have sat in one church with seven staff and I said, how often do you read your Bible? And they go, hardly ever. Seven people, I hardly ever read the Bible. I don't have time. So I said, so how do you get your sermons? I get an idea and then I Google the information and then I try to find some Scriptures and I let it get into me and then I preach it, which is sort of okay but I don't know that's gonna help people when they go through crisis in their life. I don't think that's gonna help people when they have loss in their life because Jesus is the living Word. And when we get that Word into us, it's a very different story. And God is restoring the Word of God in context back to His church all over. Then verse 14, for this world is not our permanent home. We are looking forward to a home yet to come. God is shaking our faith. Our faith is shaken because if everything we do because of present outcome, 
I don't serve the church. I serve Christ through the church. And in serving Christ through the church, my faith says, whatever happens down here, and no matter how much we stuff things up, there's an eternal purpose by which I serve Jesus every day. And therefore, I have to have my faith shaken. And then the last one is our function. Verse 21, may He equip you with all you need for doing His will. May He produce in you through the power of Jesus Christ every good thing that is pleasing to Him. May He equip you to do His will. This is my passion, friends. It really, really is. And I'm not preaching at edge. This is what I'm sharing everywhere. Please don't think there's a ministry of hints, as I said before. It's just the Word of God. And I, I believe with all my heart, the day is coming where every Christian has to decide, what is my God shape? Why did God put me on the planet? And then we need to help people discover that. The churches around the world cannot just have holes that need to be plugged. What we need is to, we need to unlock what's on people. Then they decide at what level they wanna give it. Because every human being is gonna stand before God on judgment day for themselves. We can't say, well, my pastor told me to do this. My wife told me to do this. My husband told me to do this. We're gonna stand before God on judgment day and answer for what we did with the gifts He put on our life. And as ministers, our job is to equip those that have already decided to use their God shape to serve God. Because when you work in your God shape, you will not have a day's, what do you call it, stress that you wanna give up and all that. When you're in your God shape, you, I'm working longer hours than I ever did when I worked at this church. But when I worked at this church, because of the way things are done in church world, you spend 30% of your time in your gift and 70% of the time putting out fires. And when I left and realised I could do everything I could do in my gift, Sharon would look at me and go, you gotta stop, you're going too hard. And I'm going, no, I'm loving this. Because when you're in your God shape, you don't burn out, you burn on. And so it's really important that we take churches on those journeys. And I'm really committed to the future. And if the musicians can come, I wanna now give you around those things just why I believe those shakings are there. Very quickly, this is just, just a minute. God shakes friendships to build biblical unity. He shakes the focus of the church to bring clarity. He shakes fidelity in the church so that we have loyalty. He shakes finances in church world so we have integrity. He shakes the way we follow so we have accountability. He shakes our faith so we live for eternity. And He shakes our function so we become people of responsibility. And that's why when I read this, I go, wow, the shaking's for the making. When Jesus went into the temple, He wasn't mad. It was a spiritual anger, but He wasn't angry. He wanted to mend. When God gets mad, He wants to mend. And so we see that all the shakings that happen in our lives, they come to us to mend us, to grow us, to, to lift us and so on. A pastor came to see me two days ago. He's quite challenged about what's happening in his church. You know, God is shaking the church, not Edge Church, the whole church right now. And I said these three words and those three words changed the whole story. 
So did you know there's always a sift before a shift, before there's a lift? God will always sift our lives to shift our lives so He can lift our lives. He doesn't sift to hurt. He sifts to heal. He sifts to bring clarity. And I remember at the loss of our son, when I went through that season of God, why? And after we've served you and and why did this happen to us? I realised there was levels of pride in me. I've never told you this, but when God called me into the ministry, I remember one day in prayer, I said, Lord, take anything you want, just don't take one of my kids. Wow. Take anything you want, but don't take one of my kids. And you know, 10 minutes later, I went back to God. I said, God, how can I put conditions on you? I'm sorry I said that. God, you've got all of me, whatever happens. Now, I didn't know what was gonna happen, happened. And it was deeply, deeply, deeply painful. But I had to allow God to sift me again and showed me that He wasn't hurting me. He wasn't against me that I could trust His sovereignty when I had no clarity. I'm helping pastors with that now. Hey, you don't know what's gonna happen in your church. You don't know what's gonna happen next. But can you trust sovereignty when there's no clarity? Because if you allow Him to sift you, He will shift you and He will lift you. Thanks for joining us today. Find more resources and discover what's next for you at edgechurch.com.